Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. So when I was in college, one of the jobs I had was Enterprise Rent-A-Car, and, and this was 2000-ish, and, and I don't know if you remember back then, but their commercial, you know, we're number two, so we try harder. That was us. Um, and one of my jobs, maybe you remember the other one, uh, pick Enterprise, we'll pick you up. Well, that was me. I would pick you up. And so, so I got to drive strangers around a lot, you know, taking them to their house or the mechanic or whatever. And I, I remember distinctly, distinctly this one conversation I had with an, an older man compared to me. Um, and we're talking, driving, and it was a bit of a drive, 20, 25 minutes or so. Um, and we got onto the topic of life and eternal life and Jesus Christ. And so I don't know how we even got there with a stranger that fast, but I'm quoting, you know, uh, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he corrected me. He's like, actually, that verse says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. I said, no, it doesn't. Right, right, I mean, right? And it's like, huh, I thought we were kind of going. To, and then what I learned, what I realized, this man was a Jehovah's Witness, and they deny that Jesus is equal with the Father. They deny his divinity. So later, I have another friend, similar conversations around, again, life, eternity, what matters, and Jesus Christ. And he was saying, yes, Jesus is a son of God, just like I am a son of God, or Satan is a son of God. They're all spirit children. Well, this was my Mormon friend, right? So he also denied Jesus's unique divinity as the son of God, as a, a, the second member of the Trinity. And that's just two examples. It, basic life in general, eternal life can be boiled down to this one question, who is Jesus? And then what have you done with that? right? Who is Jesus? And then who is Jesus to you? And so who is Jesus? You know, true biblical faith really lands on that one thing of who is Jesus Christ. And so today in our Say What series, Say What? Was Jesus really born to a virgin? Hence the Christmas shirt. You've been wondering. You've been wondering. Okay. We're going to be looking at the virgin birth. Was Jesus actually born to a virgin? That's what we remember at Christmas, right? We remember his birth. Uh, we sing the songs about that. That's the tradition. But is that true? And if it is true, is it significant? Does it matter? Is it that big of a deal? Uh, can you deny the virgin birth but still believe in God and be saved? I mean, those are some of those questions. And the reason we're doing really this whole series, and this one in particular, is it's somewhat a response to what we can call progressive or liberal Christianity. Now, don't go political, okay? This, these are self-styled progressive over 100 years ago. And what has happened is there was a, this movement really started in the 1800s, a um, little bit of history real quick, right? Darwin, 1800s, mid-1800s, he put out his theories, right, which means then Americans can go, and others around the world, wait a minute, we don't need God anymore? And so that really began this shift in the culture away from we need God, God is real, to secular humanism, right? Meaning we came from evolution, there is no God, and, and these things change, which means, right, the only thing you can know is what you can see and test, science, which the greatest scientists early on were Christians, I don't know if you knew that, um, but so science becomes the thing, and you have to get rid of the supernatural. 
right? Anything supernatural is just a myth or a superstition. That started then moving into the church. And so these Christians, progressive Christians, would look at the Bible and see all these miracles and things and go, we've outgrown that. Right, right. We, with our modern minds and science and all these things, we have outgrown that. We're smarter than that. We don't have to fall for that anymore. And so this series, we're looking at a lot of those things, that that wing of people who claim to be Christians, and I say that on purpose, people who claim to be Christians, deny all those. We're looking at all those and going, are these true and do they matter? And I think there's one quote that kind of sums up the thinking that can creep into Christian churches and people who believe to be believers. And it's uh, Bill Mayer, I don't know if you know who he is, but this quote comes from him. He says, what I have against religion is that they start you when you're so defenseless. I mean, I was three when they started pumping this bleep into my head. I believe in Santa Claus and the fairy godmother. Of course, I believed in a virgin birth and a guy lived in a whale and a woman came from a rib. But then something happened that made me doubt all of it. I graduated sixth grade. That is... The popular thinking, I mean, I mean, you can go through lots of quotes, right, from lots of people who look down on those who would accept these claims of the Bible of you are ignorant and stupid, right? Haven't you outgrown that yet? I did when I was in sixth grade. Well, I want to talk about that because historically, there are some very, very intelligent people who have challenged Scripture, looked at it, and then become converted. There are also some very intelligent people who reject it completely. So let's look at this one claim, though, today, right? Was Mary a true virgin when she conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit and gave birth? Does the Bible really teach it? And is it necessary, right? Is it necessary to believe that? We're going to begin in Luke. So here's what we're going to do. Grab your Bible, turn to Luke. Uh, It's page 948 in the Bible in front of you. Um, And if you want help with page numbers, grab one of those because we're going to jump around a little bit. Uh, You know, we typically teach through one passage. Well, Well, this series we're looking at kind of topics. And so Jesus's birth appears several different places. So we're going to jump from Luke to Matthew to John, and then we're going to touch on a couple other verses that are going to appear on the screen. But if you want to follow along, be ready to go from Luke to Matthew and then to John, and I will give you the page numbers. It starts on page 948. And this is one of those unique topics too. There's a lot of theological terms around Jesus' birth and his identity. And if you like those, I'll I'll throw them out. If you're like, I don't care, ignore it, (laughs) right? But I know some of you are nerds and you're like, I like those words like substitutionary atonement and kenosis. And some of you are like, I don't care. Um, How does this matter, right? And that's okay. So we're gonna start in Luke 1. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So there's the first account that we look at, right? Uh, The angel appearing to Mary and telling her what's going to happen. Now, again, our first question, was Mary really a virgin, right? right? Did that actually happen? Was there an earthly father of Jesus? Well, first, again, like almost every week, what is the context? What is the type of literature we're looking at? Because the Bible has different, right? It has narrative, it has poetry, it has prophecy, or apocalyptic literature, and those all can be seen differently. There's parables, which are allegory, right? This means this, this means that. This right here is narrative. The Gospel of Luke was written by Luke, a physician, a doctor, a historian, and he is writing narrative. He thinks this is true, and he's writing as if we should think it's true. Just flip back one page, probably. Luke 1.1. This sets the context of what we're reading. Luke 1.1. He writes this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke is writing for this guy Theophilus, And people debate who he is. But he's writing for him an account orderly from eyewitnesses. So that's what's unique about the Gospel of Luke is Luke traveled around with Paul. And Luke is one of those who talked to eyewitnesses and then wrote down what they say. So this account in Luke 1, who might he have interviewed to get these details? Maybe Mary? (laughs) Right? It is quite possible he spoke to Mary. To get these details, you know, you look at the dating of when Luke was written, of when Jesus was born, of when Jesus Jesus died. Mary would have been old, you know, 70s, quite possibly, but he very well could have interviewed Mary to get these details. So this is written to be truth, written as historical based on accounts. So the Bible is claiming this to be true. Now, does it actually mean she was a virgin? Because some people have challenged this. Some of the, in the progressive wing in churches have said she wasn't a virgin. The Bible doesn't claim that because that word virgin can mean unmarried young woman. It doesn't always mean someone who has not had relations yet. So let's look at the context of what's actually said. So look at verse uh, Luke 1, 31. Luke 1, 31. It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, And you shall call his name Jesus. So that's the instruction. You're going to conceive in your womb. That's how every baby is conceived. But that verse isn't as clear. Flip down to 34. Mary's question. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Right? That's very clear. Mary's like, okay, there's one way to get pregnant. I haven't done that. So how could I possibly get pregnant? That's her question. That's very, very clear. And so the angel responds, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. That's pretty clear that the Holy Spirit is responsible for this. This is called the Immaculate Conception. Okay, so there's one of those phrases maybe you've heard before around church, Immaculate Conception. 
Now, if you're a football fan, you're probably confused right now because you're like, I've heard of the Immaculate Reception, which is a really awesome touchdown catch once at a Super Bowl, I think. And so they kind of stole it. But it started with this, the Immaculate Conception, meaning Jesus was conceived in Mary without the help of a human man. Now, we get a little bit more info from the book of Matthew. So in Matthew, turn to page 895, make it easy on you, page 895. And if you need a Bible, there's some under your seat right there, you can grab one. Page 895. And here we're gonna see it from Joseph's perspective, right? Because this is one of those, you know, this is a big deal and we wanna take this very seriously, right? I mean, the Immaculate Conception, Jesus' identity, it's a big deal. But have you ever thought about how Joseph found out? It doesn't tell us. We're going to look at Joseph's account right here. But how did that conversation go? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. We do know that Mary went and spent three months with Elizabeth. And after that, it looks like she and Joseph had this conversation. So she went and hung out with Elizabeth for three months and then came back. And Joseph's like, what? What? <laughs> right? Or, or Mary's like, Joe, we need to have a talk. You might want to sit down. I'm pregnant, and it's God's. Really? <laughs> I mean, for real, like, I don't know how that went, but Joseph, being a godly man, got the news, and he wanted to treat her well, and so God is going to appear to Joseph, I'm sorry, an angel, and speak to Joseph and give him instruction. So, Matthew 1, starting in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Again, the context is clear. Sometimes we think about Joseph, but man, what a guy, right? He's going to treat her well, and what a blessing. And this is something unique. I never stuck out to me before until this time studying. Joseph is the one that names Jesus. The stepdad is the one that when he's born, he gets to do the naming. Now, Mary was told what his name was going to be also, but he got to name the Son of God. How cool is that? So Joseph is a pretty quality guy, obviously, here. And here, God an angel appears to Joseph to clear it up, right? We don't know how the conversation went with, with he and Mary, but he was going to divorce her quietly. And the angel says, no, no, she's good. She has been faithful to you. Uh, it says uh, several places in here, right? Before they came together, meaning they had not had sex yet. They had not had relations the context is clear. She was a virgin. So the question then comes, do we believe the Bible? Right? 
And it really does boil down to that. If we believe that the Bible is the word of God, we have to accept that Jesus was born to a virgin, that Mary truly was a virgin when she got pregnant with Jesus. Have you ever heard the word heresy? Heresy, right? I mean, people throw it around. It used to be used a lot more, but heresy is a religious opinion contrary to church doctrine. So any belief that Jesus is not fully God, fully man, has traditionally and biblically been called heresy. I mean, that sounds awful. We don't walk around calling people a heretic. But when it comes to Jesus's identity, this is where heresies come out of who he actually was. And in the early church, these were the biggest conflicts they had. Was, was Jesus fully God? Was Jesus fully man? Those were the two big conflicts. Maybe you've heard of, of the, the bishops and people getting together to hash through, right? And to create creeds of what do we believe as the church? They almost always centered around Jesus' identity and the virgin birth, oddly enough. Because there's two ways to go with this heresy. The first is that Jesus is not divine. He's not equal with the Father. He was not conceived in Mary, you know, by the Holy Spirit. And so, right, again, he's not divine. Again, there's Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, go down the list of others. Here's the other side. He's not fully man. And this was very popular uh, as things began in the Christian church of, okay, Jesus is, is God, but he can't be man. And this comes from Gnosticism, and this was very popular then, or again, for you nerds, Docetism. <laughs> that was one of the conflicts in the early church, was Docetism, meaning Jesus only looked to be human, but he wasn't really. Because, this comes from Gnosticism, and philosophy and those ideas that the body is bad and the spirit is good. And because the body is bad, there's no way God took on a body. No way. The problem, and we've talked about this some, you look at scripture, God created the body good, Y'all just messed it up, right? I mean, he, he did. He created the body good. We messed it up through sin. And he's going to fix that in the end. We're going to talk about that some in the next couple of weeks. But it comes down to who he is. So let's first, is Jesus divine? Does he need to be fully God? Well, we see a quote from Isaiah 7.14. It'll appear up here. In Isaiah 7.14, the prophet says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The story around that prophecy is kind of cool. You can write that down, maybe go read that this week. But there was a, a king who was not doing so well, right? And God says, hey, go my way and I'll give you any sign you ask for. I mean, God was really condescending to this, this king of Israel. And he's like, nope, I don't need a sign. He's like, I'm going to give you one anyway. And here's the sign. And he's pointing forward. Again, here we see this quoted in Matthew. He's pointing forward to the virgin conceiving. And what is the name of the baby born? Emmanuel. God with us. That's what that means. Emmanuel, God with us. That's not just a simple human. <laughs> this is the incarnation. God in flesh. There's another word incarnation, God incarnate, God in human form, God with us. Now, I told you we're going to go to one more place, and that's the Gospel of John. Page 981. Page 981. Now, if you're curious about all these Gospels, there's four. They're called Gospels. They're, they're the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you can just push play on your phone, and it'll play it for you. 
um, which is really handy sometimes, especially when you're driving. Um, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are called the synoptic gospels. They're very similar. John is kind of its own thing. John was written later when Gnosticism was really becoming more popular. And so John was very intentional, wanting to call out the divinity of Jesus. So John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now again, going back, I told you Gnosticism was, was pretty popular when this was written or it was moving in. The Gnostics, they believed that they had special mysterious knowledge that others didn't have, and they referred to, and remember they spoke Greek, they referred to the Logos. The Logos was, was what God spoke. It was God's word. It was, it was the person of God, the Logos, which was eternal. John takes their word and uses it here and applies it to Jesus. And so, so this word, word, it's kind of difficult to talk about a word, word, but the word is Logos. So in the beginning was the Logos. So these people struggling with the idea that Jesus wasn't fully man, he's talking to them, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, by the way, in all the original, we have a lot of ancient texts. Nowhere does it say in the word was a God. The Jehovah's Witnesses put that in to fit their theology. This is what it says. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Very clearly, this logos, this word, was the one at the beginning in Genesis 1 who created. Read Genesis 1, the creation account, and then read John 1.1 1, 1 if you need something you know, for, for this week in a morning reading. Do that. It's really fun. Because the writer, John here, who wrote John, it is beautiful. It is intricate. But he is mirroring the creation account and pointing to Jesus or this logos, this word, is the one in the beginning, because Jesus in the beginning, or God in the beginning. God spoke, right? And, and there was light. God spoke, word, right? And there was ocean, there was water, and he, sep he spoke. Well, here, John is saying, that speaking was the logos. And then he goes on, if you skip down a little bit to um, verse 14. Verse 14, John 1, 14. And the word... Logos, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Very clear, right? John is saying this word, this logos became flesh. That word for flesh means our bodies. That's what it's talking about. So this word took on an actual real human body, became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, right? And then he refers to John. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist bore witness to him, said, he's the one I've been talking about. Remember, John the Baptist was sent ahead of Jesus to prepare his way. He's saying, hey, you like my preaching? People are like, are you the Messiah? He said, no, I'm nothing compared to the Messiah. He's coming later. Now skip over a little more to John 1.29. This is also John the Baptist. This, this is the transition of John the Baptist standing in the street. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1 is so beautiful how it lays out. This word is eternal. This word created. This word became flesh. By the way, his name is Jesus. 
So the scripture is very clear. Jesus here is God, but he's also flesh. He's also fully human. So let's ask that question. Why did our Savior, why does Jesus need to be fully human? Luke 127, let that appear up here, and Matthew 120. So Matt, Luke 127, it says, To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Matthew 120, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. David is referred to both times. Why? It's interesting. There's something about David. Who is David? And actually, you see two different genealogies, one in Matthew and one uh, through Luke, genealogies leading to Jesus, and they're a little bit different. Most theologians agree. One runs to Mary. One runs to Joseph, meaning Joseph and Mary are both descendants of David. Why does that need to be the case? Why does that matter? Well, if you've ever heard of the Davidic covenant, David was the first God-chosen king of Israel. He was the greatest king Israel ever had. He was called a man after God's own heart. Yeah, he made some great mistakes, but he was still a man after God's own heart. And God made a covenant with David. And by the way, when God makes a covenant, he does what he says he's going to do. And here's the covenant he makes in 2 Samuel 7, 12. It'll be up here also. He says to David, when your days are fulfilled... And you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God made a promise to David that his kingdom would endure forever and that somebody from his body would be on the throne forever. How is that possible? right? Well, we look and we know Jesus from the line of David is that king of the Jews. In fact, when he died, they mocked him for it. They hung that on the cross, king of the Jews, and he is. And he is on the throne now, and that throne will be physical for eternity, right? In the new heaven and the new earth. Well, the promise, though, is that this will be a true descendant of David. If Jesus was fully divine but not fully human, he can't be a real descendant of David. But that's the promise. He had to be human. So we've seen he has to be divine, right? The Bible's clear. He has to be human. It's clear. Have you ever asked why? God, why did you do it that way? I, I have, right? I mean, you read through the whole Bible. This was your plan from the beginning, that you would take on flesh and die for us. How about you just forgive us, right? I, 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 why do you do it this way? Well, sin's a big deal. It, it kind of boils down to that. Sin is an eternal affront to God. And so Romans 3, I think Romans 3, 24 to 26, and again, I told you we're jumping around a bit. It's on the screen here. I believe this is one of the best passages in Scripture to lay out why Jesus is fully God and fully man and why God did it this way. Romans 3, 24 to 26. It says, And we are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who was faith in Jesus. God is both just 
and justifier. What does that mean? God is just, meaning sin must be punished. God is just, right? We would not believe a judge was good if somebody is convicted of mass murder. and He's like, you're guilty, 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 go free, right? That would be a bad judge. That judge should be removed from the bench. God is a good judge, and sin is an eternal debt. And the book of Romans and elsewhere makes very clear, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And so sin, and I don't think we, we understand, we, I have a hard time understanding how sin is such an affront to God. But we looked at creation, we looked at the fall, and sin is humans telling God, I know better. It's us saying, God, you get off the throne, I'm going to sit on the throne, I'm going to make the decision. I want to be God. Sin is a huge affront to God, and sin earns an eternal debt. But how can we pay that debt, right? If sin equals death, and by, by the way, that death is not just physical death, but spiritual death, eternal judgment and punishment for that sin, how can we pay that? How can any human ever pay that debt, right? It's a debt, say, you know, here's the bill, and all humanity decides we're going to come together and we're going to purchase our redemption, and we, everybody, every penny on earth comes together, we would still fall short by billions and billions. We can't even come close, right? So God is just, meaning that debt must be paid. God is justifier because he's the only one that can pay that debt. It's an eternal debt. Only God can pay it. But what's the debt? It's death. Well, God can't die. So God takes on flesh so that he can die to pay our eternal debt. It makes a lot of sense. And hopefully, it humbles you. <laughs> hopefully, it puts us on our knees in awe of this glorious God who from the beginning, I mean, that still gives me chills to think about. From the beginning, God set in motion knowing we would sin, knowing his solution was going to be him taking on flesh, dying on the cross for our sins. This is called the substitutionary atonement. Again, there's another theological term, but it's an important one. Substitutionary atonement. Our sin must be atoned for, but God says, you don't have to do it. I'm going to give a substitute, and the substitute is my son, Jesus. And so when we believe in Jesus, by faith, when we accept by faith, Jesus, God in flesh, fully man, fully God, died on the cross, rose from the dead. When we place our faith in him, we are considered righteous. We are justified, meaning made right with God. Wow. Jesus has to be fully God for that to be possible. He has to be fully man to die, the substitutionary atonement. But how did he do that? Well, one more passage. <laughs> It'll be up here. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Beautiful, beautiful way Paul describes what God did. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's your last nerd term. This is often called the kenosis of God emptying himself of his divine power and becoming human. Now, when God became Jesus, when he took on that form, did he cease being God? Absolutely not. 
right? He was still fully God, but this, this emptying was he set some of that aside for a time and became fully human. He took on flesh so that he could be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Without the virgin birth, Jesus is not fully God and fully human. So now we go back to the beginning. Is it a big deal that we believe Jesus was born to a virgin? If he was not, he's not fully God or he's not fully man, meaning we're still lost in our sin. Or the Bible's wrong, just throw the whole Bible out. He had to be fully God and fully man. This is why early on in, in the Christian church, when people started to go, yeah, I don't think he was fully man, or I don't think he was fully God, the church got up in arms. Oh, this is a big deal. No, no, we need to put this down in creeds. We need to make this clear. He is fully God. He is fully man. And this is what we must believe as followers of God. They were pretty firm on it, but I like the way a theologian wrote it in 1908. And by the way, in 1908, this progressive liberal wing of Christianity was, was trying to gain strength. And they were moving in saying, you can, you can believe in God, you can be a Christian, but you don't have to believe all those myths in the Bible. We've outgrown that, we can get over that. Well, this theologian said this, undoubtedly, the divinity of Christ is the most essential doctrine. The incarnation, meaning God taking on flesh, is secondary to this, and the virgin birth of a third grade of importance. A man may doubt or deny the third, without, in his own mind, denying the second or the first. And yet, he has surely put himself in an untenable position which he cannot maintain. Historically and logically, the divinity of Christ and incarnation are bound up with the virgin birth. And no man can successfully maintain any one of them without maintaining them all. That is put really well. I mean, if you're like me, you might need to read that a couple times. But he had to be fully God, he had to be fully man, and all that is wrapped up in the virgin birth. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? I believe we must believe that. That is central to who we are as Jesus' followers, knowing who he is. Now, a couple quick final thoughts. Jesus was born to Mary. Mary is not a God. You don't pray to Mary. Mary is not divine. Mary is pretty amazing, and I think she's probably got a special place in eternity, right, for what God chose her for. And she was not a perpetual virgin. She had other sons and daughters. That's very clear in Scripture. In fact, two of them wrote books of the Bible, James and Jude, half-brothers of Jesus. Imagine being his younger brother, right? But Jesus had real brothers, and real sisters. So Mary was not a perpetual virgin. Just trying to clarify some of those things that we, we believe this and then we go further with it than we need to. So as we finish up though, where, where do we, how do we apply this? Where do we land? Hopefully it gives us chills at the idea of God loving us so much that he would take on flesh to die for our sins. You know, we're going to move to communion and in communion is where we celebrate and remember Jesus' death and resurrection. God loves us so much. He had this plan from the beginning. I love, as we go through all of Scripture, from page 1 to the final page, God was never surprised, right? It wasn't like he made us, and then we sinned. He's like, great, what am I going to do now? God knew. Because, I mean, look at the birth of Jesus, the way the stars move, all of that. That was all set in motion when the Logos spoke at the very beginning, said, let there be light, let there be stars, and that he put those out there, the stars, the he put them there to move in a predictable way that they would come together, right, to make that star, however you believe that happened, whatever, 
But still, there were signs in the heavens around Jesus' birth. So, so God knew not only what he was going to do, he knew the day he was going to do it, right? He knew all of that when he set it in motion, and he loves us so much, he was still willing to do it. He was still willing to create us, knowing what we would do, knowing who we would be, but he was willing to come in flesh to die for us, to rise from the dead so that we could be reconciled, have life now and eternity with him. And so as we take communion, communion, we remember his death. We, we remember his body and the bread, right? His body broken for us. We, we think about him being beaten, the crown of thorns, being mocked, carrying his own cross, right? Going to the place where they crucified him and he actually died. He didn't just look like he died. He died for us. We remember that. In the cup, we remember his blood spilt for us, which reflects the sacrificial system all the way from the Old Testament, that it was through the shedding of blood that there's forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This was divine blood shed for our forgiveness. And so communion is a big deal. We have three stations, one here, one here, one here. Um, Gluten-free, I think, back there. But, but, but we have these stations. But before you take it, take a minute and pray. Think about even the virgin birth. Think about Jesus, who he is, his identity, what he did for us, and think about yourself. This is a time of confession. This is a time of repentance. If you have sin in your life that you're, you're ignoring, you're like, I'm not going to deal with that, maybe don't take communion today. Or repent of that, give it to God, ask for his help, and then come take it. If there's a relationship that's broken right now with a fellow believer and you're at odds and you're like, oh, I don't want to deal with that, you know, one of the, the things that we're given in scripture is when you go take communion, make sure you're at peace, you're reconciled with fellow believers. So if there's something you need to do, maybe you need to go outside and make a phone call and then come back in and take communion. Maybe it's somebody in this room, you need to go talk to them, right? Uh, ask forgiveness, whatever that is. But as we celebrate this, we celebrate it together, remembering what Jesus did, looking forward to him coming back. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you. We believe that you are fully God. We believe that you are fully man and that you had to be for our salvation. You had to be so that we could be forgiven. We thank you for being willing to do it. God, we ask for your forgiveness. God, so often we go through life and we don't think about you. Um, we don't think about the weight of, of what you've done. We don't think about the glory of who you are. And so we ask forgiveness. But at the same time, we thank you for your patience with us. Uh, we thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. And God, we're now going to take the Lord's Supper. Jesus, as you commanded us to do, we're going to remember your sacrifice for us. And we thank you, thank you, thank you. We will never forget, Jesus, what you did. And we can't wait to see you face to face. Until then, please find us faithful. Find us humble. Find us surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, as we